Hey, this is Glenn, and welcome to another episode of Difficult Questions. This one, what is a just revolution? This is on the back of the January 6th hearings. It's on the back of the um, Roe v. Wade reversal. I actually had a friend that on Facebook posted the addresses of all of the Supreme Court justices. And I thought, well, this is a threat. Is this what we're doing? Because what are you willing to accept as far as a revolution? Because I think in, in a revolution, you have to accept death. And that's one, real hard to accept. And two, real hard to justify. Um, I always say life is important until it's not. And people in the U.S. have a hard time with that. But it's true. Uh, I was, I, I started looking at revolution really um, wholeheartedly in the 2008 housing crisis because I lost my home. Fortunately, I never went homeless, but that's what started me doing all my research and trying to solve the homelessness conundrum in the United States. And I thought that after 2008, that was going to be revolution because what was happening is the middle class that had been promised the American dream started to go homeless. And they started to realize that the American dream was false, that that owning your own home, family, stability, white picket fence, that's not a real thing anymore that every everything is is started to be eroded for short-term goals and so i thought okay this is a revolution and i remember going to harbor freight and i was seeing i i saw a machete was six dollars at harbor freight and i thought oh it's on because all these middle class people that were promised stability are now going homeless and they're educated and they're not supposed to be homeless when you're educated and playing the game. This is what's going to spark the revolution. And machetes are only $6 at Harbor Freight. But it never happened. And I started wondering, why did that not happen? So I started looking at other revolutions. And I, I came to the conclusion that it's food security. Food insecurity is the thing that sparks revolution because people have something to live for as long as they have access to food. They have access, they, they have something to live for in taking care of their families, taking care of their children. They're not going to just throw it all away to fight and to accept violence and accept that that life is important until it's not, until they can no longer feed their families. And that's the key, because I was looking at the French Revolution and what sparked that. And from the best of my ability to research, it's, it was food insecurity, that people just said, well, I have nothing else to lose. I'm starving. My family's starving. This is going to happen. Um, and in a revolution, you have to be able to devalue life. 
And that's something that we do because I've been working on homelessness. We, 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 we accept that there's a class of disposable people. We don't admit, like to admit that. We want to blame the person for their situation. So then that way we feel better about ourselves. But in a revolution, you actively have to devalue life. Um, what I've noticed in, in another revolutions, I was looking at, let's say, in the Indian uh, revolution of, of kicking the English out. Uh, they, they held fast to their ideals without, for the best of their ability, and it was a failure at some point, uh, without devaluing human life. So I think that it, it's just, in quotes, just in history's eyes, as long as you say, we want freedom, but you don't make the next step of, we want freedom, therefore we need to kill those people. Whenever someone decides that we need to kill those people, that becomes really hard for the international world to swallow. Uh, I think the United States is also in a, in a very specific world uh, setup because the, the U.S. dollar is the world currency, whether we like it or not. So uh, as soon as we go into revolution, that dollar is going to degrade. People are going to have less confidence in it. And there's a real incentive to not have that happen. Also, a, a revolution in the United States would have global consequence that nobody wants. So there's this need for stability. And we don't necessarily have food insecurity. And we have this rule of law that we've established. And people like their stability. So I think that I always tell people, you know, they'd say the world is burning down. I say, eh, the world is always burning down. And the United States isn't going to go anywhere. It's too big. I was looking at other revolutions. In fact, this other this, this latest revolution in Sri Lanka. You know, that's a small country. People invaded the capital and the president fled. Uh, Arab Spring, different smaller countries where our country is very huge. So you have this January 6th invasion of the capital by people. In no way was the government harmed. It was... It was a show because in order to enforce a revolution, you have to have you have to have what I've seen, the support of the military. Right. Whenever I look at coups, uh, Libya, before Muammar Gaddafi got dethroned, when he in the 60s, when he got in power, he was part of the military and he was able to get cohorts in the military to to actually um, dethrone the, that, the, the current ruler. So that actually was kind of a bloodless revolution, believe it or not. Not him getting out. That was hugely bloody, but him getting in. So in order to enforce your ideals, you have to have the military backing. And usually in a country, that's the army. We have four, arguably five branches now with the six with Space Force and, and National Guard. But 
we have the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. Those are the big four. And you'd have to have the Chiefs of Staff on board with your revolution. Otherwise, nothing's enforceable. And the other thing in the United States that we love, this is how, this is our trick. In order for us to, let's say, uh, start revolutions in other countries, which we do, especially South America, we destabilized Afghanistan, Iraq. Um, we work really hard to define someone as a criminal. The, the latest out of 2001 was the terrorist. All we have to do is make sure everyone thinks you are a terrorist and then we can, life is important until it's not and your life is no longer important. Uh, I was listening to a ex-military and he was saying that he'd worked in multiple tours in Afghanistan and he was equating the, the, the insurgents in Afghanistan or Al Qaeda as animals. And then he said, they're, they're like the equivalent of Nazis. And I thought, well, wait, <laughs> wait, because what Nazis did is they turned the Jews into animals less than human. So I don't think that dehumanizing people is a way for a just revolution. But what that does is it allows the military to just kill people. Because if you are a terrorist, if you are a criminal, your life is no longer valuable. And this is, the, this is what the United States does. We do have, have what I call proxy revolutions, where we have some person that makes an extreme gesture, like right in the Capitol, or some group that makes an extreme gesture gesture and then the world around them goes especially in the united states says that's crazy okay let's compromise and we go back to the rule of law because we get angry we get angry but emotion and, and anger gets us to the point of action but it doesn't carry us through i think that the only way for a just revolution to happen is for that revolution to hold on to the ideal without dehumanizing people, without getting angry. This just needs to happen. Instead of this needs to happen by killing that person. Uh, I think that is what a just revolution is. So back to our proxy uh, revolutions. Uh, there have been a few things where, let's say the FBI was overstepping their bounds with citizens. And they got cornered. Uh, one was David Koresh in Texas. And people saw that and went, whoa, you're kind of, you're overstepping your bounds. And then that also Ruby Ridge was where people thought, okay, this, this guy is getting cornered and the FBI is shooting his wife. So that's bad. Shooting his wife with a baby in, in the woman's arms. So the FBI wasn't able to make that person a criminal enough for the rest of the world to kind of agree. 
So then the FBI had to look at the way that they're working. Maybe we're getting a little too heavy handed. Um, so we have these, these, these proxy revolutions where we have the opportunity to say, okay, that's too much. Let's step back and let's go back to negotiate. And let's go to the rule of law. One of the big ones that I, uh, I am really drawn to was John Brown and he was an abolitionist and believed that slavery was wrong and God told him that he needed to, to change this. So he just started killing slave owners. And then he wanted to start a revolution and tried to break into an armory, a federal armory. And that's when people said, okay, this is too much. So I think that to have a just revolution, again, you have to either have the army on your side, keep to a consistent ideal without demoralizing people, but you have to be willing to kill people. And then you can have these fast revolutions. Or what I see in the United States is the revolution from the inside of learning the game, getting good at the game, subverting the game, rewriting the game. And that's the way I think it's slow, but I honestly think that that is the just revolution that we accept, especially in the United States. We're not a small country. We're a very diverse country. There are a lot of people trying to turn people into criminals. And the goal is to not be seen as a criminal, to work from the inside, to work for the change you want, and to not get angry because it's really hard to justify anger, especially in the long term. What are your thoughts? What is a just revolution? Thanks. 